Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, Rob LaPlante. Rob is the co-president of Lighthearted Entertainment, the production company responsible for hits like MTV's Are You the One and Dating Naked on VH1. Back in the day, Rob was on the ground floor of casting The Apprentice and getting it off the ground. You can't really blame him for Donald Trump, even though I do ask him about that, but you can blame him for giving the world Amorosa. (laughs) But she is one of the greatest TV villains of all time. Rob and I go deep on Donald Trump, then and now, how he found and casted Omarosa, and why this past season of Are You the One is one of the most groundbreaking casting stints in reality TV show history. Okay, so I'm here in Rob's office. Hello. Hello, how are you? Good. So I always talk about how I know my guest, and we have just met. Um, We were introduced uh, by email um, via Shannon McCarty. That's correct. Shannon uh, works has worked on and off for me for years and years and years, and she is a wonderful person and an excellent casting uh, director for unscripted TV. If people are looking for one, yes, I mean she must be because she's helping me book my podcast just by introduction. So <laughs> I'm very grateful. She's, she, she's one that uh, you know we have like a good solid relationship. People. Uh, certain people along the way call me for advice every once in a while, and I try my best to help them. And she's one of those people, and she's she's a wonderful person and, and a very good worker and very good at her job. So I'll take all of that, and she can be around me as much as she wants. Aw, that's yes. sweet. Well, she said you would have great stories, and I looked at your bio, and I said, definitely, I want this guy on for sure. Um, and I'd heard your name throughout the years, and obviously I knew about Lighthearted and your shows. And as I told you on the phone last week, I had Jackie Pittman on, who's one of my favorites. Um, who did a lot of time here at Lighthearted. Jackie is another one of the people that I put on the wonderful list, yes. for sure. Yeah, everybody loves Jackie. Yes. And she was instrumental in getting Next up on the air back in the day. Uh, she helped develop the show yeah. and with Howard, uh, sold it and 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 all of that. Yeah, she was a big part of that show. Yeah, so so you brought up Howard. And, and again, I don't expect, you know, we have a lot of new listeners that show up every episode. It's not like you have to know the whole canon of reality of reality to know. But, but, but Jackie and I did talk about Howard you know, way back. That was almost two years ago, I think. So talk a little bit about Lighthearted and, and Howard, just to set the stage for the company, because it's it's a very interesting company and his legacy is certainly, you know, needs to be contextualized here. Absolutely. And, and, and his legacy is very much still a part of this company, even now that he's passed away. Um, and I'm proud of that. And I, it's part, it's something that I want to continue. So Howard, uh, founded Lighthearted Entertainment, I think about 25 or 26 years ago. I don't remember off the top of my head. Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz. Um, and, uh, you know, he was a very early producer in Unscripted. He did everything from talk shows uh, to um, uh, game shows, all that kind of stuff. The, the, his first credit that's the most notable is a, a show that was very hot, years ago on Fox called Studs. Oh my God, I remember Studs. Yeah, he created that show, uh, ran it, um, and uh, it was a big deal. I mean, that was like one of those things that like, it 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 was right around kind of the beginning of when Fox as a network became what it was for a while, which was the edgier yeah. version of NBC, ABC, and CBS. And uh, subsequent to that, his next major credit was 
was the one of the bigger credits for this company, Lighthearted Entertainment, which was uh, a, show, a show called Extreme Makeover, which was not the one about houses. It was the one that actually preceded that, that they ended up naming the one about houses after, which was about plastic surgery. It was people that um, went through this extreme, obviously, plastic surgery, and uh, they told their emotional stories. Um, and I think that show and then the moment of truth on Fox, which was another very well-known and probably uh, somewhat controversial show on Fox um, that I think really was some of the tenets of the founding of the company that Howard pushed through. And, and they were both worldwide hits. Those were shows that that traveled around the world. And again, that was back in the day when this company was uh, able to own the rights to those kinds of things. Ah, the good old days. Exactly. Is, and, are uh, you guys rebooting Moment of Truth? I saw that on your website. Um, we are absolutely uh, looking into that right now. That's I can't say anything in sp- specifically okay. moving forward, but but it, it's it's something that we're very open to and want to do because I, I actually think Moment of Truth in a lot of ways was a bit ahead of its time. Um, and, and and not to pitch a show on a podcast. Yeah, but, no, but t- tell the conceit I mean, Moment of, of it. Truth basically is a game show where the contestants were asked to answer 21 questions in a row without lying. And if they answered 21 questions in a row without lying, they could win hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it was as simple as that. You just have you don't, you don't have to lie because you are going to be hooked up to a uh, lie detector that would know if you were telling the truth or not. So if you told a lie at any point during the 21 question, uh, and there's a money ladder along with it. The funny thing about that show nowadays is I feel like with the truth (laughs) is such a flimsier thing from, you know, that show came out in I think 2005, 2006. We're now 15 years later and truth is such an interesting topic now. And to sit people down and ask them 21 questions and ask them to tell the truth, I think is a much more interesting thing. Um, and so it's, it's something that we would like to bring back. Is this the show where there was a lot of controversy because someone admitting to cheating on their spouse and yes, it was a whole thing? Absolutely. I, what I, was that again? I, it was, it was, I think uh, somewhere in the, the middle woman of the, admitted it, right? the first season. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think a lot of, look, the show was very interesting because it put people in a position to answer what would be difficult questions and again, challenged them to just tell the truth. I think in that particular case, it was a woman who I think really at the end of the day wanted to divorce her husband. But I think in a way that some people can relate to just couldn't muster the words and stand across from him and say it. And believe it or not, as strange and crazy as this sounds, she was sort of using the show to say it in a, because she just couldn't bring herself to do it. And of course, at that time, 15 years ago, the idea of a marriage being blown apart on a television show was absurd. And I say this all the time now, that would be nothing yeah, on a reality too. show. That would be like a Tuesday. Yeah, that would be and, a Tuesday. And, and uh, so another reason why I feel like that show was just a bit ahead of its time. I think it was it, what was extremely controversial then would be mildly controversial now because that's where we're at 15 years later. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that because, um, you know, I watch a lot of trashy Bravo housewife stuff and that there's actually a term for what you're talking about, which is called lily pad, which is that these women go on these shows as a lily pad to get divorced. And it's, it's such an interesting psychological thing. I mean, obviously you come from casting, you know, people's 
reality, the psychology of a reality star, quote unquote, which is why on earth would you expose your entire life as your way to split up with your husband? You'd think it would be the opposite, right? It's so, it's fascinating. But it's, hey, look, that's a big thing. And, 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 and. (laughs) Look, I don't think it's the right way to go personally, <laughs> but I think it's a fascinating thing to watch. And I think that's why people love shows like The Housewives and stuff like that is because the, maybe there's a lot of people watching those shows that are having those same feelings and thoughts and they're watching other people, you know, do it in bigger and louder ways. And, you know, that's part of what we do is that we harness those people. And look, if that's what they want to do, you're a consenting adult. Then let's tell your story. Let's find out where you go. And I think ultimately people do relate to it. And maybe they don't at home do the exact same thing, but maybe they muster up the courage to actually do it themselves in, in probably the right way. Right. Exactly. So on a broader way, you you come from casting. I want to talk a little bit about your career, obviously. But um, now you run Lighthearted. You're a co-president of the company. And so you had this really interesting career. But I think the fact that you started in casting you know, and now you obviously have a much more macro job I and mean, you're not involved in, you know, I'm assuming casting, you know, sitting in the room and looking at tape and all of that on a regular basis. You don't have time for that. But I feel like your background in casting and people, by the way, don't give enough credit to cast. That's why I love to have casting people on the podcast, because I think a lot of people who don't come from casting or have worked directly with casting, give it enough credit for really being the tenants, no matter if it's a docu-series or a dating show or, you know, any kind of show, it, it, you know, unless it's sort of by design where it's a family and there's no casting because it's already an existing family. It's such, it's really the foundation of unscripted, right? I, I know that I can tell you one thing that there, there's very few things that I absolutely know <laughs> are true about this industry and this subsection of uh, entertainment. One of my top three is casting is the most important thing. Like I think it is above all by far. I think even a show like take huge hit shows like Survivor. If they hadn't had Richard Hatch season one, if they hadn't had a few of the other cast members yeah. on season one. I honestly believe, and Richard Hatch being the most, I mean, the man invented alliances. The man invented, to a large degree, what the gameplay was on that show. If he hadn't been there, would that show be where it is now? And I venture to say maybe not. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, And I think if you look at a show uh, like Real World, for example, and you've looked, you know, not, not, well, it's kind of on now on Facebook, but over the years, that show ratings wise goes up and down. And yeah, what depending is on that, the cast. what's the reason? The cast. Right. It's not I, the show is the show. Yeah. And I think that, you know, so many times, even in our development process now, I will encourage the network that we're dealing with to say, hey, listen, if you're absolutely not sure about this format, give us some money to cast it. And then when you start to see the human beings that will fill in an episode of dating naked or whatever it is that we're coming up with, then you're going to see what we're talking about. When you, when you put it on its feet in that casting sense and they start to see, Oh my God, when that girl and that guy go on a date, that's going to be crazy. That's when they fall in love with the idea. They'll like it, but they won't fall in love with it. And I think the same thing goes with an audience. I think the audience is like, they see the commercial for something new coming up. They might like it, but they're not going to love it until they watch that first episode and they fall in love with the cast. And then they come back from because the, the, the whole thing for me is ratings on episode two ratings on episode one. OK, that's interesting. But did they come back? Absolutely. And if they drop in, in, in episode two, it's because you have bad casting. And will you how long does it take you the second you see somebody to know if they're like, is it three seconds or 30 seconds, whether they're going to be good or not? Because I'm assuming you have a great gut instinct. Yeah. I mean, part of this is, as you said, I spent a good portion of my career doing that primarily. 
looking for people. Um, and, and, and I have some pretty decent characters on my resume. Omarosa yes, is probably we're gonna my, get to that in my a biggest moment. feather in the cap. Um, <laughs> that I feel like I, 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 I honestly believe I do have a very good sense of it. And I think generally within a couple of minutes, and, and I think the, the people, I say this all the time though, the people that are truly the one in a thousand unbelievable reality TV characters, number one, they are very difficult to find. You could cast many seasons of many shows and never even find one. Um, but when I have found them, I really honestly believe that everyone in the room saw it. Like it's not, they aren't, they, they come at you like yeah, a it's lion. not something that you're seeing that no one else is seeing. Yeah, no, there are others that blossom <laughs> in ways that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely feel like I have a good sense of that as well. But the ones that are unbelievable, it's, it's undeniable. They, they like people talk about all the time when like, you know, you're interviewing someone and then they start interviewing you back. Right, right. That's what happens. They they start to take over the whole room and the energy of the whole room right. gravitates towards them. And, the, and we've all met those people yeah. in real life, right. and not even on reality exactly, shows. Exactly. But they could be on the reality because Absolutely. they have that it factor. But don't you think, especially doing, you know, you guys are so present in the dating arena. Is it harder and harder? Like you, you casted the first few seasons of the real world and those are the early days or you casted early on in the yes, real world. Yes, early on in the real yeah. world, not the first few I'm Sorry. Seasons, so, yeah. so that was, you know, kind of still like the, 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 the days of, you know, people, we didn't have the social media. We didn't have everything we have. Isn't it harder and harder to find people? Cause we always say the best reality stars, quote unquote, are the people that aren't dying to be on TV. Right. Mm-hmm. And I put TV in quotes cause now it's everything, but is it harder and harder to find people that don't feel like they're, for lack of a better word, thirsty? Yes, <laughs> I definitely agree with that. And I and I think that the key to that equation is to turn over rocks and find them. You know, like and I how? Think, how do you do that? I mean, that's that takes tenacity and really good casting departments because there's there's the low hanging fruit, which right. are exactly what you're talking about the people that have applied to 15 shows or been on other shows. Yep. Um, and, and really, honestly, I love looking for people that aren't looking for us because right. there's they, they don't know. Like if we're doing a second season uh, or a third season, they don't know the show so well that they're going to come on with all of that existing baggage. And as you said, they're not looking to sort of make a splash on purpose. Like I really enjoy finding those those characters that are like have never applied to anything before, have never even thought about doing anything before. But we stumble upon them because somebody told somebody about this person that should be on a show and that's like the lead you're looking for, 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 for leads and you're looking, you know, again, social media is great to sort of sort of start finding someone, but it doesn't stop there. It's, it's really about taking the second and the third step to find those gems. Yeah. The gems are the key. So, so going back to Amorosa. So is it Amorosa or Amorosa? Omarosa. Omarosa. Yes. Oh my. Okay. So you ended up at Mark Burnett. What year? Let's get a sense of chronology. Uh, around here. 2003. And they hired you to cast The Apprentice? Yes. So I had um, worked on a show for NBC prior to that called For Love or Money. Yeah. And I had worked with Three Ball uh, uh, Entertainment at the time. And I had I'd cast that show and worked on all four seasons produced on the show, all that kind of thing. And I'd gotten to know all of the NBC executives because in casting, that's the other thing is like, I was dealing directly with the network. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we had a really great relationship from for a love of money was very successful as a dating show. 
And uh, that got me the meeting with Mark Burnett. And the funny thing about that thing was that this was 2003. So 2000, year 2000 was the year Survivor became right, the number one show right. on television. And prior to that, from 19, up to 1999, there were only a few reality shows. So this was very early on. I was very young. Right. You know, and, and it was, you know, I graduated from college in 1998. So I'd, I'd worked basically yeah. in Unscripted for the two years after that. And then 2000, of course, Survivor blows up the whole uh, television industry because now everybody wants a reality show. But Buna Murray was this amazing nest of people that all had experience. Yeah. So at, you know, 24 years old, probably 25 years old, I'm sitting across from Mark Burnett and he's like, I'm doing this show for NBC and he's explaining the whole thing to me. So this and, is the first season. Oh yeah. This was, wow. This and this was the very beginning of the show. This was when it was an idea. Yeah. Um, and he was bringing together a bunch of people, David Eilenberg, of course, Ted Smith, yeah. who were all uh, going to sit down and figure out what the show was. They were going to figure out how these challenges were going to work. And all that he had at this point was that he had sold the show to NBC and Donald Trump was on board. We needed to like now figure out the whole show. Wow. And so I was, you know, part of that equation, like, okay, who are these people going to be? And so they, he ended up hiring me with um, NBC support. And then we ventured to find all that stuff out. And as I was casting the show, the, the, the David and the team and Ted were all figuring out what the show was going to be. And we would talk and we, I would show them what I was finding and they would show me what they were thinking. Did Trump have anything to do with casting at all? He would, he would be a part of, well, I mean, yes, at the very, very end when we were down to the final, final people, approval. he would be presented the final people. And that was a nerve wracking experience to say, to say the least. So you were presented to him yes. just like your final. Absolutely. And then what were the kind of things that he would say about people? I mean, he is full of opinions, you know what <laughs> I mean? Did he already have nicknames for them? Oh yeah. I mean, he, look, I, I, I've, I not only cast the show, but I was a producer on the show from the first season through the first all one through six. I was wow. on oh my all gosh. the way as a producer from, until it became the celebrity apprentice. Holy shit. And then you I got stories. Yeah, oh, I got stories for you have days. you started writing your book? Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, I mean he look, he the one thing I'll say is is that he has opinions and he made them be known. Um but at the same time too, especially at the very beginning he knew that Mark and Jay Beanstalk and, and the whole team of people that made that show knew how to make a show. So, and this is not going to surprise anyone. I think his biggest concerns, especially at the beginning, were about him. What? How Hold he on. looked. Stop and the what show. He was, how he was being presented more than the cast. Then, and the funny thing is, the second season, once he'd watched the show and really realized what it was, then he got a lot more interested in who the cast was because- He wanted drama. He Yeah, and also, not only that, he just, he felt after seeing the first season that he now understood what the show was. Got it. And that he had more of an, wanted to have more of an input on who was on the show. Was his biggest concern about himself, was it, was it physical, like a vanity thing, or was it more like how he's going to come across, if he's going to smart, sound smart or not? He has no concerns about how he comes across. He has no concerns so it's just about sounding smart because he believes that he's the smartest right. guy in the room wherever he is. Right. So it was um, like, is this my good side? Is oh, my tan the definitely. right Definitely. How right. he looked is a huge concern. His hair, yeah. his yeah. makeup, his lighting, all of that stuff. He definitely was savvy to that from day one. Um, he, he'd been around movies and TV and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he, he was definitely concerned about, especially season one, the, the Trump normal concern. I mean, everybody who's listening to this would expect, you know, like right. it's, he, he wanted it to be about him 
And and he certainly made it that way. What was your take on his hair? I mean, his hair is absolutely a comb over. <laughs> I don't think that's headline right. news to anyone. So it was back then. But too. the funny thing is, this is what I say all the time. He always says to he kind of has as he does all the time yeah. a clever way of evading the question. Mm-hmm. If he if he says, "What's the deal with my hair?" He says, "Everyone always thinks my hair isn't real," right, right. and so he says he always encourages people touch my hair. It's real. And I always want to say, which I didn't at the time, no one thinks your hair isn't real. Right, we just it's, don't understand. We don't understand why you comb it over all over your head in a circular fashion. Right. So like by by getting ahead of people and saying, no one thinks my hair is real, yeah. touch it. He did that to Jimmy Fallon, that famous right, moment. Right, 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 right. He was like, see, my hair is real. No, that's not the question that everybody's yeah. asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he's so right, good he's, at that. Exactly. He misdirects it before yeah. you can say anything. And then by the time he's done his shtick, Everyone just gives up and moves on. Yeah. So were you, you worked on the show for six seasons. We'll get to Omarosa. I'm getting there. But of course, I got to get through my Trump questions. Did you get less intimidated by him as time wore on? Like, how would you describe your rapport with him over the years? He is an intimidating personality. There is just zero question about that. (laughs) And when I see what's happening in the world and I see, you know, how people are talking about his advisors in the White House and what it's like to be around him, I relate to it all (laughs) the time because- I was around him for years on the set in different moments. You know, the, the best way I can describe it to you in a simple way um, for an interview like this, so I don't go on and on forever, is that you can. When you're talking <laughs> to him, you have about 30 seconds to make a point that that resonates with him and generally a point that he agrees with. <laughs> right. If you do that in the first 30 seconds, then you are granted maybe another minute. Ooh, that seems like a lot of time for him. You know, like, yeah, 60 seconds, 90 seconds max (laughs) more to then continue finishing, make your point. And I knew that. And we all saw that. And so. And did you know if he was agreeing because he was nodding or he would say, okay, or go on? My strategy was to try to come up with something to say in the first 30 seconds that I absolutely knew he was going to agree with. (laughs) Right. And then I would try to fit in because the big discussion you're having with him is before the boardroom, you know, he's going to fire someone and that is ultimately going to be his decision. It is. So you want, you want the, him to, he was not running around New York city watching them sell lemonade, you know, like you want to make sure (laughs) he, he, he understands what actually did happen so that your best odds, at least that, that someone is going to get fired for the right reasons. So he actually did decide in the end who will get fired. Again, ultimately we are guiding the content towards three people. But at the end of the day, it's going to be three people sitting there because they, they first start with the whole group and then they narrow it down. So He's going to make the final decision. And trust me, it's it's real because there were many times where he made a horribly bad decision. And the person that maybe didn't deserve to be fired did get fired because they ended up getting into they said something in the boardroom to him that he just didn't like, you know. And so now it becomes it's nothing about what we did for the last 48 hours selling lemonade. It's now just like he said something to them that he thought was he said they said something to him that he thought was dumb. Therefore, he's really pissed off. He doesn't like them anymore and he wants them out. And now it's like, as a producer, you're just hoping to stay on target because I have an episode that I have to edit together. Right. And you really, the viewer wants the the firing to have something to do with the performance on the task. So like I said, in that, that 90 seconds or 60 seconds that I have, my goal is to like really get them to understand there's, it's probably going to come down to these three people and here's what each of them did wrong. And then ultimately let him sort that out. So as a producer, I know that no matter who he fires amongst that final three, I'll be able to tell that story because they all did this wrong, each of them individually. And now if, as long as it lines up somewhere in that range, I'm going to be able to show that, that problem, you know? So you did your job. There was an editor that went on a podcast. This is now like probably three years ago, maybe right before he got elected, right after who said that 
they, it was a mess in the edit because he never would say anything coherent. He wouldn't go sort of by the guidelines that the producers were talking about. And they'd have to literally piece stuff together to have him make sense. I don't know if I would go as far as that. Okay. I, I, I think he's not, he makes sense. I mean, he still makes sense to these days. I think he's saying things that <laughs> that uh, you don't necessarily agree with. But but it was coherent but sentences was coherent that sentences. followed the narrative of what you I were mean, again, speaking. Again, there were occasions where he would fire someone who had absolutely nothing to do with what happened when they were doing the task at hand. But then it's done. Like but you can't go back. No, and you can't. That's Once it. he's fired them, he's okay. fired them. So I just um, yeah. again. But he would listen to us again mm-hmm. in those increments. He would listen to us, like who's the project manager? Who were the people? Who were, and like, and we would say this is what happened. You, you, but again, that was my sixty seconds was just seeds. Ultimately, that the boardrooms lasted in some cases, a couple of hours. Right, right, right. And those seeds that you planted with him, he would then, okay, what happened with this? And th- then you're sitting in the control room going, yes, okay. He's talking about the subject that I want him to talk about. And inevitably, that would be a, a wire that would get tripped for that person. They right. would be like, well, tell us about the problem with marketing. Well, now we, and that, that yeah. then they're falling right into our trap and then he's going to pull it out of them. And he was good at pulling out of them. Yeah. I watched, we watched a lot of seasons and I remember it's so funny, you know, just how much has changed, not just with him, but with cult, with our culture. I mean, I remember an episode, I think it was an Asian woman. I don't remember her name where he said like he was firing her and he's basically like, like you got on your knees. You shouldn't have gotten on your knee. You know, it's super like, totally. Well, you can't say this now, like for, whatever he can say whatever the hell he wants now, but, it, but you know, on a reality show NBC would have never let that fly today and I know he made many comments like that that made it on the air and then many that did not were you guys you know and again I know we're culture we're in a different moment culturally a lot has changed we've all changed right in the way we look at stuff but would you kind of shudder when he would say certain things absolutely and then how would you but, would but you, I still shudder when he says no no obviously things. but I mean, in terms of like uh oh how am I gonna tell him he can't say this or how am I gonna get him to reword this so I can actually use it you're not going to. I it's mean, just, he's going to do what he's going to do. I, again, I'm sure that there are people sitting in the White House right now that every time he tweets, <laughs> they pull their hair. It's the same thing. Yeah. You're not going to contain that man. Yeah. You are, it is a foolish thing to even try because he gonna he he's he's just it's just not even going to happen. Did he ever yell at you? Yes. And did was it warranted? I mean, no. In I guess mind. it's never warranted, yeah, but I mean, in a I workplace, I don't think it's appropriate. But I mean, to be like, was to... the content of he was what he was saying, or was it just he was just spouting off? Yeah, he spouts off, right? And did you was, was there a context where you could go to Mark or Jay and say, you know, this is not okay, or was it just sort of like if you're going to work with Donald Trump, you're going to have to deal yeah, with it? Yeah, I mean, again, maybe partially because it's a different era. This is yes. a long time ago, yes. but. And, but there was never a moment where it bothered me enough that I was even, I mean, this, this rolled right off my back. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. He screams at me, big deal, moving on. Like it doesn't, it, do, it didn't really matter in that way to me. Again, standing on that set, everybody on that set was on the same page, including him. Like we had a billionaire, iconic American billionaire person. Again, but <laughs> that in quotes. Yeah. But like he was super famous <laughs> right. and he was considered right. to be a billionaire who was willing to be the maestro of this <laughs> reality show and willing to let us ha- fly on his Trump jet and his Trump helicopter and go to his Trump casinos and all this. Like, and he wanted to show all that stuff off. And that was all perfect for us. Like it was like all, and all these people wanted to line up and be cast on the show and all of them all desired to work for him in yeah. a legitimate way. 
And so like, it was like a perfect recipe. If you had asked me in 2003, 2004, 2005, if that man would ever be president of the United States, I would have laughed out loud at you. I would have been like, no way on planet Earth. But it, so like, but, if he yelled at me left? or if yeah. he said inappropriate things, which by the way, he still says to this day, yeah. it, I, I wouldn't have thought two th- seconds about it. But people say this month because people ask me this question all the time. Like, like, you know, is there some secret tapes? Is there? Blah, right, blah, blah. I, I was going to get said, there. He said ridiculously yeah. offensive things all the time. And he says them today yeah, as well. Right, there there's really no difference. no difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, I mean, you have tape of this man on a bus saying these things yeah. about women that are insane yep. and, and offensive. And, and he's still elected president of the United States. It's not like even if we had some tape that we don't have, <laughs> right. I, I don't know how you get more worse than what was on that bus. No, absolutely agreed. When you said that... Um, if someone had asked you in 2003, 2004, if he would ever be president, you would say absolutely no way. What if someone had asked you, do you think this guy would ever run for president? I would believe that. Okay. So that because, wasn't the far-fetched part. The far-fetched I mean, part was him getting elected. Running for president would, would, would coalesce everything with him. He, yeah. he's, his ego is, was, 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 was validated by it. And it was another way for his name to be put out there further. And that, again... You can take away a lot from that guy, but he is smart about that. He is smart about getting his name out there. And he is the first person even then to be like every single bit of press, as bad as it can get, is good press. Yeah, that's he still his thing. He believes that wholeheartedly, yeah. which is another reason why he does yeah, what he does. As long as you're talking about him. A hundred percent. All right. So let's move on to Omarosa. Obviously, she is probably the most iconic character to come out of that entire show, really, regular person. So you were casting at that point. How did you find her? And then what was kind of the dance with her to get her on? Yeah, Omarosa uh, was at the time, I believe, living in Virginia. Um, She was in the political world. She actually, people don't necessarily remember or know this. She, not, not surprisingly, was an intern at the White House, worked for Al Gore when he was vice president under Bill Clinton. So like this was actually Omarosa's second turn at the White House with this time a Republican president. But then, of course, now Omarosa has switched back to Democrats. So she goes back and forth with the wind, as we know. Um, but so how did you find her? She she we were looking for all kinds of entrepreneurs. That was the blanket of what, like we wanted reality TV characters, big personalities. But they had to also have a legitimate res- resume of entrepreneurship or business savvy, business success. Um, And she at the time had a consulting business that was pretty successful for um, beauty pageant women, believe it or not. So she she had one, uh, this is why people, I don't know that, I know, in fact, I don't think she did know Trump, but I think she had consulted because people would hire her and she would help them get into the upper echelons of those pageants. So I know she didn't know Donald Trump, but I'm sure she'd been around his pageants, et cetera. Can you imagine that reality show of yes. her consulting to, I mean, that would be a yes. great reality show. She'd be good on any reality right? show. Right? I mean, she I is mean, gold. She yes. is truly. Um, so anyway, she came through, okay. we, we started interviewing her and then the, the personality just started popping. And I remember one of my favorite moments about her was for our finals week, we fly, you know, there's going to be 20 people on the show or some, 16, I forget exactly how many, but, um, we fly 50 or 60 of them to Los Angeles from all around the country to do our finals week, which was literally, we put them, uh, sequester them in rooms in a hotel and they're there for several days. 
going through all of the psychological screenings and every every other bit of risk management. But one of the biggest parts of that process is that we are all up in this suite and one at a time we bring them in for their final uh, interviews and they can do more than one of these. And that Mark Burnett is there and, and Jay, the showrunners, the network is there. NBC was there. I was there as the head of casting. And we brought in Omarosa. And I think the first time she came up, she was really poised, like almost beauty pageant poised, <laughs> right. um, but still tough. And yeah. she was still every bit Omarosa, but there was like a kind a of polished. A, a polished version of her. <laughs> and and we had known all of her background. I mean, she, this woman grew up in the projects. She oh, was, wow. I didn't know that. You know, tough. And uh, it, she had not had an easy upbringing. And so we, we sent her back down to, you know, whatever. And then the next day or, uh, we brought her back up again one more time. And I remember Mark went in on her and was like, you came up here yesterday. That wasn't the real you. And we know it. We know your background. We know what your, your whole thing Drop is. Drop the act, honey. And that's when her face completely changed. And he's like, he's, he's like, which, which are you? Are you, are you this person that you're presenting to us now? Or are you this person that grew up in Youngstown, Ohio and then she, I'll never forget this. She looked at Mark, face changed. She says, I am every bit of both. And and she's like, and if you don't believe that I'm really from Youngstown, if you don't believe that I'm really that tough woman, she lifts up her shirt to expose her midriff. And across her midriff is a wound, like a, a, a like some kind of cut wound that's about three inches long. She says, this is what you get in Youngstown, Ohio, in the projects, when you get into a disagreement with someone else, and it was a knife wound on her on her midriff, Holy and I was shit. and I was like, I looked at Mark, and we were like, Oh my okay, god! Okay, but like, let me this ask woman Rob, has got a whole okay. another layer that you wouldn't even imagine. But Rob, knowing how Machiavellian she is, how smart she is, what she can lie like the best of them. Do we not think that might be like an appendix scar? Uh, no, this okay. was not. It did. I know what an appendix scar looks like. I look this at was a knife, a knife wound. wound. Yes, you grew it up. That, you grew up in this rough streets. And Mark was in the special forces. He knows. Too. Okay, he knows. Right? Yes. Uh, and wow. it was that. And like, okay. and that, 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 that was everything. like the don't fuck with me part of her that you're yeah. like, oh, because she will be the polished version. Right. She will be the. Oh, and, yeah. But then you cross her. Yeah. And there's that other person that is that is behind the scenes that will come out. And we were like, holy shit. And, and then from there, it, the interview then changed. And for the next half an hour, we started talking to her. And we really got to the person that you now America got to know yeah. on the show. And then America still knows to this day. I mean, she's. She's just one of those people. She walks into a room and man, oh man, she is in charge of that room. And, and, and a room with people like Mark Burnett in it is not an easy one to do that, do that in. Well, she has so much confidence. Absolutely. I mean, she, she's, you know, very self-possessed. Do you keep in touch with her till this day? I do. Uh, uh, she'll occasionally um, comment on one of my Facebook posts. And the funny thing is I always get side me direct messages from people like what the hell Omarosa said something about your kid and I'm like yeah yeah well, we go way back we go way back so what do you think makes her tick like what's your kind of psychological analysis of her because she is a really hard nut to crack like I'm just sometimes she says things and I'm like wait maybe she is like a normal person quote unquote and then she completely goes off and I'm like she's out of her mind much like her <laughs> protege her, her protege or whatever you want to call it <laughs> no, Mr. The Trump opposite, right? you, she is one of those people and I think the funny thing about the two of them is they are actually quite alike. Agree. Um, is that you are either with her or against her. Okay. And if you're with her, she will protect you. She will support you. And I, I'm obviously with her. I've never, we've never had a bad word between the two of us and we've checked in and, and kept in touch. Um, 
And that's the thing. She's it's ultimate loyalty with yeah. her. And if you show a lack of loyalty to her, then you're on the opposite side of the fence. And much like our president, then you must be destroyed um, and or, or just ignored and squashed and pushed aside. Um, and and that's how she is. Have you seen her in real moments like where you feel like there's a vulnerability there? And she's in a way that feels authentic because that's the thing with her. I never I always felt like acting like I've, you know, heard her subsequently on Howard Stern. Sure. And her one of her husbands died, yes. I think. And I was like, is she really upset or is this an act like I she's, can't she's, read her? She's a human being. She's okay. absolutely a human being. And, um, you know, it, it's there. It's just not, not easy to access that yeah. stuff. And I don't think a very small group of people gets to see that stuff. But, you know, she's a human being. I mean, she's just. Again, much like a president, it's a lot of it. She's about number one, yeah, which is her. Right. It's and, called narcissism. Yes. And, and, <laughs> which and, makes a great reality star. Right. Absolutely. Do you think that's the number one? I always say the magic formula is narcissism and self, and lack of self-awareness make for the best recipe for a reality star. I would say for a reality, quote unquote, villain. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you look at some of the greatest <laughs> right. ones, I mentioned Richard, Richard Hatch, Hatch yeah. earlier. Absolutely. Um, you know, you go back to the original, like Puck from Real World, yeah. way back in the day. Same thing. Um, so yeah, and reality villains to a large degree are some of the most memorable characters ever. Um, and I, but I think there's other forms of really memorable reality TV characters, and I think maybe they're a little bit less narcissistic. But the the uniform characteristic is the definite no filter, the definite the camera in no way is going to stop them from being the person that they are. And mm -hmm. that is probably what I'm looking for more than anything else. I like that. Yeah. Is it, is it, cause if, if you could get a person whose emotions are so authentic, regardless of the scenario, then you're going to get somebody whose audiences are immediately going to get hooked onto because they're going to be like, everyone on these shows is on a search for authenticity. The, sh the, 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 the least quality reality shows out there are the ones that are the most inauthentic. Right. And and if you, so the more authenticity you can capture, the better the show is going to be and the more audience is going to be drawn to it. So that's a great transition because, um, oh, listen, I could talk to you for 10 hours, but uh, but uh, but I really want to get to Are You the One? Because this is, you guys, probably one of your biggest hits um, on MTV now in the 10th season. We just aired the eighth season. The eighth season, sorry. But so well, it's still so this amazing, was, and I'm very proud. We're almost to 100 episodes. Incredible. So yeah. I really want to talk about this last season because you guys got a ton of press for doing something really revolutionary. I'll let you say what it is. And really exciting in a lot of ways. So talk a little bit about what you guys decided to do and why this yeah, past so season. Are, are, are You the One is a, a dating format, and the basis of the show is to put – in prior seasons to this, 10 women and 10 men together in a house who, through algorithmic matchmaking, psychological screening, all of this testing that we've done, uh, basically are determined to be perfect matches, except the 10 women and 10 men don't know who amongst the opposite sex is the one that is their perfect match. And the whole show is the group trying to figure it out along the way. Such a great, con was that your concept? Yes. Was that your idea? Oh, it was me and my partner, Jeff. Yes. Such a great idea. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great show and it's really fun because you get all the fun of a reality dating it's, it's house like a scavenger hunt environment, too, right? but yeah, they, but at the same time they're playing this game and right. the game really forces them to sort of experiment with all the other possibilities before they can figure out which one is their match. Hopefully. And they can split a million dollars. If all, all of them, you know, match up correctly, then they get to, to, to split the money. So we did that for seven seasons and we did it to incredibly good success. And I'm very proud of it. Um, but then one of the things that we um, noticed, especially in the last few years is casting the shows, like 
you're really studying a generation of people because everyone on the show is basically between the ages of 21 and 25. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit far from that age at this point. And, you know, but I remember being that age and I remember being like, I wanted to have my own identity. I wasn't an adult in, the, in that older sense. And, and so when, as we interview people, I try to keep a very open mind and be like, I'm not trying to try to push my POV on you. Let's see what your POV is. And one of the things we noticed in casting over the last several seasons was this idea of sexual fluidity kept coming up. We would be interviewing someone for the show and be like, well, what are your dating problems? Well, when I date um, guys, I typically date the bad boys. But, but when I date girls and we're like, what? <laughs> it's like, well, I'm sexually fluid and I, I feel like that's a part of my identity. I'll go on your show and date guys because that's fine and I'm good with that. But I also date girls. Um, and we were like, wow, interesting. And a, as we started to hear that phrase and talk about it with them more and more, we were like, this is something very relevant to this generation. They have just a POV about sexuality that's burgeoning and opening up and progressing. And let's get, so we decided in season eight with MTV's agreement that we would do an entire season of sexually fluid people. So the entire house of people, it wasn't about finding the opposite sex match. Anyone in the entire house could be a match with anyone in the entire house because every single cast member was sexually fluid. So what did you notice having done already seven seasons of it? Other than the obvious, right? With that they were all gender fluid. Is it gender fluid or sexually fluid? Sexually, sexually fluid. Gender fluid, fluid is more Sorry. of a, when you look the at a person, then, you're not quite sure oh, got if it. they're okay. one way or the other, which is, we had, people, <laughs> we had people that fit that category in the house as okay. well, a couple of people. Okay. Um, uh, uh, but, but yeah, sexually, sexually fluid, fluid is an identity. Like, okay, got it. So what were the main differences? I think I read somewhere that you said that they were nicer then Pete, like the, there was like a real sense of community in a way that you hadn't seen before. Well, the thing that was amazing about this season was that, look, when we cast regular good looking straight people on the house, let's just be honest a little bit. They were interesting, obviously interesting enough to sustain the show for many seasons, Yeah, but they good looking people. I hate to be a little bit of a, 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 a like stereotype here, but they, they haven't maybe struggled as much in many cases as other people. Like, again, if you're good looking and you're young, a lot of things get handed to you. Not everything, but a lot of things get handed to you a little easier. But when we cast this season, it was like these people to be what they wanted to be, to 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 sort of, you know, stand up for themselves. Like, this is who I am. It was a struggle. They had parents who didn't accept them. They had churches who didn't accept them. They had to, like, struggle just to stand up for the person that they are and they, they, they that they identified with as the person, this is how I sexually look at the world. And so when you have sort of persecution, you go through something as difficult as they've gone, they were actually really interesting people because just like anything else in life, struggle generally grows a person. So like you had this entire group of people who had all been through this separately, 16 different people who had been in different cities around the all struggled to get people to accept their sexuality. And then we put them all in a house with 15 other people who had all been through that separate of them, but the same struggle. And they were so elated to be around people that understood them entirely. Like they were literally locked inside a house with all these people who knew exactly what they had been through. And so all of these new layers came out in the show that hadn't been there before that were really emotional, that were really interesting, that that on a regular dating show with beautiful people, 
never would have come out with never would have manifested before. Yeah. You put like a social experiment on top of another social experiment. Exactly. It's so interesting. Yeah. So what does this mean going forward? Is it going to be the new norm for the show? I would love that. My hope is that we kind of serve Combine, everyone. Yeah. I would love to go back and forth. We do a, a straight season and a sexually fluid season and back and forth we go. We have not, you know, gotten the final word from MTV as to what they want to do from here. Um, but but I'm sure it'll be something, and I'm looking forward to whatever that is. Could it be a combo, or would that not work in numbers? Mathematically, game? it wouldn't okay. work because you need <laughs> to everyone to be one way or the other for for the got matches it. to work. Okay, got it. So, last question. You know, you guys, lighthearted. You do. I mean, I went on your website. You have a million shows, and so many of them are in the game slash dating space. And I mean, you have a wide variety, but but I would say like dating. It's like how many ways can you skin a cat? So that's really my last question. How many, like you guys are so good in this genre and it's obviously made a great comeback in the last few, you know, sort of genres go in and out. And sure. I remember dating was dead for a while and then all of a sudden dating was hot again and dating seems to be now, you know, obviously the bachelor kind of has endured, but. Well, it goes, it goes up and down. I mean, it, I, I get what you're saying. That's for sure. So, so are you guys, do you sit in the room with your development people and you think, okay, okay, what. How else could we do this dating thing? Are you looking to expand to other genres? Like what's what's the goal sort of for lighthearted? Obviously, you're doing so well in your genre. You don't want to abandon what's working. But I'm more than happy to do dating (laughs) shows. I'm more than happy to explore the relationship space. That's check mark. Yes. Um, But we actually are developing a lot outside of that right now. We're doing um, uh, next year. We're doing a food uh, competition series. We're doing a uh, music-based competition series. Um, like we're we're getting into a lot of new areas, which I think is imperative because I mean, like like you said, dating goes up, dating goes down. I'm happy. The biggest thing that I'm happy to report about us is that we keep doing shows that go to season twos and threes. We have a series on OWN right now called Ready to Love, which is in the relationship space. It's kind of in dating, but it's a little more documented. It is. I was looking yeah. at some clips. But that one's now going to season three. So like I want to be known not as the dating guy, but as the execution guy. Like I want to be known like, hey, if you buy a show from Lighthearted, it's going to be good enough that viewers are going to like it. And it's going to go three seasons. Dating Naked went three seasons um, like that, that was a great show, by the you. way. I what, love that. Was show. Was that your concept yes, also? I mean, yes. hilarious. Um, it's that, that that was a great combination of sort of comedy sprinkled yes, over a dating show. Exactly. And I think to answer your other question, that's where you got to do. You got to yeah. make it interesting and new and different, which is harder and harder to do, but it's not impossible. So you've been doing this, you know, a while, right? I mean, you're not like one of the older ones, but you're not one of the younger ones anymore. What's your What's your take on like where we are and like, are you feeling positive about where we are as an industry? Are you feeling like, oh, this is so frustrating. Like where's your, where's your head at in terms of, you know, your excitement level every day when you come to work? It's definitely different and it's definitely difficult, but I'm, I am staying positive. I think, look, we have, we're, look, the cable universe is shrinking. It's, it's a fact. Right. It's not an opinion. Right. Um, but at the same time, the streamer universe is expanding. Yeah. So it's like. You're going and you from have a one, Facebook show, right? Yeah, we had a show yeah. on Facebook. Yeah, um, that was a big, crazy concept. I mean, it was you know basically like almost like a live-ish reality show where viewers could yeah, influence cool. the things going on by voting and, and, right. and making changes to the to the scenario as it was happening. Um, but that's that's something that wouldn't have ever happened in another scenario right. if it wasn't a Facebook. Right. So, like, I, I, look, I think you have to embrace 
where we're going. So I look more towards the streamers. I look more towards those as where I'm developing towards because, you know, cables closing stores. But I think we're just morphing. And during any kind of morphing process, it's going to be painful because you're going to have to cut off an arm and figure out what the new arm is going to be. But I'm looking forward to see what, because it's going to be done morphing at some point soon. I think the digital part <laughs> yeah, of this Yeah, we're is gonna, in the middle right now. Exactly. We're in the middle, which is the tough part because yeah. there's a lot of I don't know. Yeah. But once we get to the other side, I think it'll settle down a bit. Everyone will kind of find their place like musical chairs. The musical stop. Everyone will right, sit down. Right. There are probably going to be a couple people that don't have a chair. That's part of it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but but then we'll, we'll, we'll continue moving forward. And I'm looking forward to it. So that's what I guess I'm looking forward to the most is maybe if it, we just kind of settle down a little bit more so that you kind of know the rules of the game and you can kind of play play along. Yeah, that's actually a great point. Well, this has been so great. I really appreciate your candor about Trump and all the apprentice sure. stuff. I know that's not always the easiest thing to talk about. Yes, I don't care. And I know you've probably been asked about it a million times. I but have been. It's very interesting. But thing for I me understand and, why it's interesting. I yeah. think the whole world is fascinating right now. Yeah. I mean, we have a I mean, reality re- TV president, the greatest I mean, reality show of all time. Think about it. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like, uh, I mean, I struggle with being somewhat partially minorly responsible for that, but yeah, good job. Thanks exactly. Rob. <laughs> I was going to ask you that actually, if you think, cause everyone's like, thanks Mark Burnett. You know, the, theory, sorry, we have to end on a Trump thing. Do you know the theory, I think Howard Stern has said this theory, that he's heard from reliable sources that or maybe it wasn't him. He's heard from, or or people have been saying that the reason that we have Trump is because he found out that Gwen Stefani was, oh, it's in Michael Moore's documentary. That he starts off the documentary saying Gwen Stefani is the reason we have Trump. Because apparently Trump found out what Gwen Stefani was making on The Voice and he was really pissed off she was making more than him. And so to get NBC to pay him more, he decided to, you know, make a big fuss about running for president, thinking it would leverage his salary. And instead, it obviously backfired. Do I know that to be a fact? <laughs> no. Do I think it's very possible? Yes. Do I? Does that man love money? Loves money a lot. More than anything. Absolutely. So, like, could that be a, a fact? Absolutely. It, would, would, it wouldn't even surprise me <laughs> a little bit. All right. So thanks, Gwen Stefani. We'll there blame you. her, not you. Hey, but that actually makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> you could sleep tonight now. Exactly. Finally, after three and a half years. All right, Rob, thank you so much. You got This it. is great. 